Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3 as we're continuing our sermon series, We Are Jonah, God's Mercy and Our Mission. And the book of Jonah, it's broken up into two parts. The first half of the book of Jonah showcases and highlights God's mercy towards Jonah. Now, Jonah, he is a stubborn, hard-headed, rebellious prophet. Jonah, he's a lot like a little kid. Okay, Jonah, God says, I want you to do something. And Jonah says, no, right? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen to you. You can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? God? Maybe, right? You're not the boss of me. And so God calls to Jonah and Jonah, he doesn't listen. Instead, Jonah, he turns and he runs in the opposite direction. Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And so the first half of the book is God trying to get Jonah's attention. He wants him to do something. And Jonah, he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And the first half of the book is really showcasing and highlighting God's mercy. And let's just think about this. Okay, so Jonah runs away, and God, he runs towards Jonah. Jonah makes a mess. God, he gives a miracle. Jonah, he almost dies. God, he delivers him. Jonah, he gets himself into a bad situation, and God gives him salvation. The first half of the book of Jonah really just shows us the amazing mercy that God has for us. So it's about mercy. The second half of the book that we're getting into today is all about mission. Now, I told you at the very beginning that the book of Jonah is not about a fish. Some people, all they do is think about Jonah and the fish. What about the fish? How did a guy live in the fish? And people get so focused and so consumed with the fish that they actually miss out on what's happening in the story. Okay, the fish never is mentioned again. Okay, we never talk about the fish. It was just a vehicle that God used to get Jonah to where he wants him to be. It's kind of like a catch and release. Catch Jonah, let him go, right? That's all that the fish is. The whole point of the story is really about mission. God wants Jonah to reach the city. That's why in Jonah chapter 1, God says, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, because God wants Jonah to get on mission with him. So the first two chapters of the book is Jonah wrestling and running from the word of God, and then God catches him, he hunts him down, he saves him, and then God, he gets him to a place on mission. Now, why would it take two chapters for Jonah to begin to obey? Because here's the deal. If you want to see the city changed, first your heart has to change. If you want to see the city change, first your heart has to change. Before God can ever work through you, God must do a work in you. Before you ever get to work for God, God's going to have to do a little work on you. And it's only after you've experienced God's amazing mercy are you ever able truly to lovingly, passionately be able to fulfill the mission that God has called you. That's what we see in the book of Jonah. And that's what we see for our lives because we are... Jonah. So let's see how the story continues. If you got your Bibles, we're in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time, okay, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, because it's about the city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Okay, so What I love about God is that God, he comes to Jonah and he says the exact same thing to Jonah the second time, right? It's the same wording that we see in chapter one, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Okay. How many of you are parents? Then you'll understand this. How many times do you have to tell your kids to do something? A lot, right? You're going to have to tell them And then you're going to have to tell them again. You can't be like, oh, well, I told them to clean their room one time when they were four. Glad I never have to tell them that ever again. No, you're going to have to come to them and talk to them a second time and a third time and tell them again and again and again until they graduate and move away. And then some of you know you're probably still going to have to keep telling them even further along because you're going to have to talk to them again. And that's the same thing that God does here. God comes to Jonah and says, okay, we need to talk about this. I need you to listen to me. I love you. Let's have a conversation. He goes right back to Jonah and tells him the same thing. Some of you, you think this, you're like, God, are we still talking about this? Yes, because you still haven't done this. I'm going to keep telling you and talking to you until you obey me. And so God, he comes and he talks to Jonah a second time. 
And I love this because some of us, we find ourselves in the same place that Jonah is. That for most of our lives, we have been running away from God. We have been trying to flee from God's presence, and we have not made any distance between us and his presence. And we've been running and rebelling and resisting, and then we reach a point where we realize, I can't run any longer. And so we stop And we turn around and we come back to church for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And we can even start to wonder, does God love me? Will God forgive me? Is God done with me? Friends, I want you to understand this. God is not done with you. That God is going to come to you and the word of the Lord is going to come to you a second time. And like Jonah, God is going to give you a second chance. And what I love about what God says here is not what he says, but actually it's what he doesn't say. When you read this, what you'll notice is God doesn't remind Jonah of his sin. God's not like, hey, Jonah, do you remember in chapter one when you rebelled against me? He doesn't say that. Say, hey, Jonah, do you remember your shortcomings? Do you remember your sin? Do you remember that failure? Do you remember when you let me down? It's such a shame. You disqualified yourself. You ran away. I could never use you again. God, he doesn't do that either. God comes to Jonah And he says, Jonah, I love you. He says, Jonah, I have a plan for you. Jonah, I have a purpose for your life, and I forgive you. And the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and God gives Jonah a second chance. This is the same place, again, that many of us, we find ourselves in. That God is not in heaven looking over your life and saying, you blew it. God's not reminding you of the worst day of your life or the biggest mistake that you've ever made. God's not standing there in heaven with folded arms looking down on you saying it's a shame that you got yourself in the situation that you're in. I can't do anything about it. He's not looking down on you thinking about all the things that you've done and all of the things that you said and bringing it back up every time you come to him. God doesn't do that. He's not looking and saying, Johnny, it's a shame you you did what you did. I have a plan for you, but that's over. God doesn't say, Karen, you shouldn't have got caught smoking weed in the girls' room in high school because now I can't use you anymore. I wanted to love you, but now I can't. That's not what God says. It says that God comes to him and the word of the Lord comes second time. That when God loves you, he loves you. When God saves you, he saves you. When God forgives you, you are forgiven. And many times I think we're the ones reminding God of our sins when God has already forgotten our sins. They've been forgiven. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And when he loves you, he saves you, he forgives you. And the God is saying to us the same thing he says to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I need you to get up. Because we got some work to do. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time, and God gives him a second chance. So what is Jonah going to do with this second chance? The story, it continues in verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, right? According to the word of the Lord. And so Jonah gets up and he's like, I'm out of the fish. Praise the Lord. Thank you for getting me out of the fish. And so after three days in the fish, he's vomited up onto the beach, and now he's got to go to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is a 500-mile journey from where he's at. So that's about three months. Okay, and they didn't have planes or trains or automobiles or cars or Uber. They didn't have any transportation for Jonah to get there. So guess what he's got to do? He's got to walk right through the desert. Three months walking through the desert. It's hot. The sun is scorching down on him. There's no food. There's no water, right? There's no holiday inn or cheddars. There's nothing for him to eat. It's just him walking 500 miles through the desert. It's hot. He's nasty. He just got vomited up by a fish. He probably wants to take a shower. He probably stinks, right? It's not the best day, but it sure does beat being in a fish, amen? And he has to walk through the desert. But here's the deal. He's going to Nineveh and Jonah, he is on mission. He says, all right, God, I'm going to listen. And then Jonah, he obeys God. And the story continues. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. So the Bible tells us a little bit more about, about the city of Nineveh. 500 miles away, he walks in, he reaches it. And it says it was an exceedingly great city. Now, that word exceedingly is very important. That means it was big, it was large, it was massive, unprecedented in the ancient world. 
Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was the largest military power, the largest political force that they had in the ancient world. Nineveh happened to be its capital. And here it says that it was a three-day journey from one side of the city all the way to the other. If you wanted to see the city, you'd have to walk three entire days before you were able to see it all. That is very large because in that day, cities would be probably about a thousand people. Not a lot of people lived in the city. And the city would be um, one temple, small homes, that's it. But Nineveh is exceedingly great. And one of the reasons for its military power was because they would have fortified walls all over the city and it was unpenetrable. They would have the military on top, the army, and they would just crush you. They would destroy you. They were an unstoppable force. Nobody could overtake the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was very wealthy. Like the people in Nineveh, they did pretty good for themselves because it was the center of everything in the ancient world. Like anything you wanted, you would find it in Nineveh. If you wanted to be anyone, then you were in Nineveh, right? The political power was found in the city. That's where all of the, all of the military was at. That's where all of the government officials were at. Shopping, shipping, um, commerce, everything happened right there in the city of Nineveh because it was an exceedingly great city. But just because it was great, that doesn't mean that it was good because Nineveh was an evil city, right? That's what it says in chapter one, that God says that their evil has come before me. Nineveh, they were evil, wicked, not good people. The city of Nineveh was founded by a guy named Nimrod. You can find his story in Genesis chapter 10. Nimrod, not a good dude. He's actually the great-grandson of Noah, and despite his family lineage, he ended up totally just in wickedness and rebellion, ruthless, violent, murderous of a man. His name means the great hunter, and that's exactly what he did. He would hunt people down, and he would kill them. And Nimrod, he founded the city of Nineveh, and he also funded and he formed what is the Tower of Babel, which basically is um, an attempt to dethrone God and overthrow heaven. That's man's attempt. That was Nimrod's idea. So Nimrod, he forms the Tower of Babel. His great-grandchildren become the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are the sworn mortal enemies of the Hebrew people, that they have tried to bring genocide to the Hebrews. They've tried to destroy the nation of Israel. Three times they make war with Israel, trying to wipe them off the face of the planet. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you were wondering, well, is Nineveh, is it really that bad of a place? Is it really that big of a deal? I mean, I mean, we've been to some bad neighborhoods. Maybe Nineveh really is no different. Well, the book of Nahum tells us a little bit more about, uh, about Nineveh. So some of you may be wondering, is this a place that I want to raise my kids? Right? Do they have good schools there? Is this a place that I might want to go on vacation to? My 10-year anniversary is coming up. Maybe I'd like to take the wife and we could go visit Nineveh. So what is Nineveh known for? What is the major exports of the city of Nineveh? What can we expect? Well, Nahum chapter 3, he tells us. He says, if you were to go to wikipedia.org or Travelocity or citydata.org and you were like, hmm, what should I know before I go to the city of Nineveh? Here's what he says, that the Ninevites, they were good at a couple of different things. They were known for their witchcraft, for their um, prostitution, for child sacrifice and murder. That's what they're good at. I wonder what they're bad at. I don't even really want to know, but here's, here's what they do. They would worship demons by raping women, murdering babies, and then, and then just killing everybody else. Welcome to Nineveh. And Nahum says that the bodies would be stacked up so high, they couldn't even dispose of them. They would just leave them right there in the middle of the streets. Okay, that's, that's Nineveh. And God says, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Many of us, we would be like Jonah. We would say, no, I don't want to go to the city of Nineveh, right? I'll, I'll go to bed and I will ignore you, but I will not go to the city of Nineveh. But God says, I want you to go to that exceedingly great city. Why would God want Jonah to go to the city? Because God has a plan for the city. Because God wants to see the city change. Because God loves the city of Nineveh. He loves the people in Nineveh. And God has a redemptive plan and purpose for the city of Nineveh. He wants to see the city changed. 
He wants to see the people in the city repent of their sins, turn and trust in Him. That God loves the city, God loves the people, and God has a plan for the city. And here's the big idea. That God loves cities. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And God loves the city. And God has a plan for the city. And might I suggest to you that Beaumont is our Nineveh. That Beaumont is a great city. And God has a plan for our city. This is the reason that we started this church. This is the reason that Redemption Church is here, right in the heart of downtown, in the center of the city, because we believe fundamentally that God has a plan, God has a purpose, and he has called us here to reach the city and see the city changed. And, and you can't read your Bible without coming across this mega theme of the city. It starts in Genesis and it goes all the way through the book of Revelation. In Genesis 1, God opens up. He makes Adam and Eve in his own image and tells them to, to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth, to fill it. And this is their, um, their commission for them to build a civilization or a city. And then through the fall, what we see is God brings a covenant with, with a handful of men. And, and he says, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to found the nation of Israel, which is God's city. David and Solomon, they, they build the temple in the city. Jesus' gospel ministries, three and a half years from a small, rural, hick town like Deweyville, going all the way, three and a half years into the city. We see it in the book of Revelation whenever all of human history unfolds and God's grand plan for redemption is revealed. It's the renewal of all things, the new heavens and the new earth where you and I will have our resurrected glorified body and we will reside in what God calls his holy city because God, he loves the city. We also see it in the book of Acts whenever Jesus' last words, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' missionary model is to go to the cities. We also see this with a man named Paul. Paul is an apostle, church planting pastor who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and much of his ministry, starting churches from scratch, happens in large metropolitan cities. Because God loves, God desires, there's a heart and affection and affinity that God has towards the city. And God, he loves the city. But the problem is, most Christians don't love the city. Okay, most of you don't love the city. I know that because you tell me that. You say, Pastor Byron, I don't love this city. I don't like this city. I don't want to live in this city. And I can't wait until I leave this city. Right, that was my thoughts for, for many years. Growing up in Southeast Texas, my biggest dream was to leave as fast as I could. But if everybody leaves, then we have nothing left to love. God loves this city. God cares for this city. God desires for this city. God has a plan for this city. I want you to see the city that way that God sees this city. I want you to have a heart for this city the way that God has a heart for this city. And I want you to know that if you are here, you are not here because you have to be. You are here because you are called to be here. God determines the times and the seasons in which a person lives. And he allots the boundaries in which they dwell. That God has you here for a particular purpose, for a specific reason. And if you live in this city, then God has called you here on mission. And we're to love the city the way that God loves it. But many of us, we are like Jonah. Okay, most Christians, you're like Jonah. God says, go to the city, and you're like, oh, no. I don't want to go to the city, God. God, I like my nice little comfortable life. I like doing things my way, right? My kids know Jesus. I was baptized. I prayed the prayer. I'll see you in heaven, but until then, you can just leave me alone, right? I'm not going to go to the city. I'll go to work. I'll come home. I'll press the button on my garage, and I'll just ignore all of the problems in the world. I don't want to go to the city, but do you know who's going to the city? More and more people. Yeah, every single year, more and more people are moving into the cities. I read one research that said by the year 2050, 80% of the American population will reside in metropolitan cities. 80% will begin moving into the city. But as more and more people move into cities, sadly, more and more churches close their doors every single week. 
that churches in cities are closing their doors because Christians, they are leaving. And as Christians move out, the city begins to move more and more post-Christian. Okay, what that means is that people don't, they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the authority of scripture. They don't pray. They don't go to church. There's no faith muscle memory that children are being raised without going to kids' church. They they don't even know the story of Jonah. It's increasingly post-Christian. They don't love, serve, read their Bibles, follow Jesus. And as the, Christ, the city moves more and more post-Christian, more and more churches are leaving in the cities, they become abandoned. We're seeing this exact same thing happen here in Beaumont. You think that would never happen in Beaumont. Everybody grew up in church here. There's a church on every street corner. It must be filled, right? No. Actually, the majority of churches in Beaumont are under 80 people. Okay, Very small. And there's a lot of empty seats because everyone's somewhere else. Okay, Because the city or the church has been forgotten. We see this even here in downtown Beaumont. Okay, When you drove in here today, there was a large church. takes up an entire city block. Okay, And right now it's just abandoned. In the 1970s, that church was pushing maybe 2,000 people. Today, nothing. Right? And it's because as the city begins to change and what people call quote-unquote sketchy, Right, what happened is all of the people, they moved out, the churches closed their doors, they built a mall on Dallin, all the white people moved to West End, and then everybody else moved in here, and all the churches, they just left. And the city, it remains abandoned. Okay, God says, go to the city, and Christians are like, hmm, no, I'm going to go not to the city, and it remains abandoned. And this is the reason that our church is here. This is the reason that we planted our church right here in the heart of the city in downtown Beaumont because we believe that God wants to bring redemption to the city of Beaumont. And many people tell us that, that, that our church is actually at a disadvantage because of our location. I met with one pastor before we ever planted the church and I told him, we're going to start our church in the city. We're going to do it in downtown. And he told me, downtown is dead. Nobody's going to go to your church if you are downtown. Nobody wants to go downtown because that's where all the drug dealers and Democrats live. They don't want to go downtown. And if you do, good luck trying to preach the Bible. People don't want to hear that. Good luck, you know, having spirit-filled worship. Good luck trying to get people to serve because people don't want to do those things. You can't preach straight through books of the Bible, have hour-long sermons, and expect people in downtown to show up because downtown is dead. Okay, I would suggest... The opposite is actually true. Okay, what we've discovered in two and a half years here is that we are not at a disadvantage. We actually have a missional advantage because we are in a very strategic location, unlike others, to reach our city. That the city of Beaumont is a beautiful, it is a important, it is a necessary, critical part of the mission of God for the city. Now, how many, how many of us are from Beaumont? Okay, right? The majority of our church lives in Beaumont. Okay, but here's the deal. How many of you are from Orange? Yeah, there's a lot of us. I'm actually from Orange. Okay, I live in Beaumont now, but I grew up and I'm from Orange. How many of us are from Mid-County, Bridge City, Port Arthur, Nederland, Groves? How many of us are from Lumberton or Vider? Yeah, we're all here, right? And it took all of us, what, 20 minutes to drive here, right? That's the same distance it takes me to drive from my place on Calder downtown if I don't catch the train. We can all get here anywhere in Southeast Texas in about 20 minutes. What that means for us as a church is we are not limited to a local church only reaching into the city of Beaumont. We are actually a regional church that God is raising us up to be a regional church that will reach all of Southeast Texas, almost half a million people within a 20 minute radius who need to hear the gospel and the good news of the glory of Jesus Christ. And they're all looking to come here. And that's our hope, that's our mission, that's our goal, that's our prayer. And that's why we do what we do. And we have a heart for the city of Beaumont. And if you want to see the culture change, then you have to reach the city. And here's what I love about Beaumont. I don't know if you know this or not. I love this city. Just getting starting talking about it, it makes me so excited because I have a heart. Let me tell you a little bit more about the city of Beaumont because this is fascinating. Sociologists, whenever they're looking for community development and what they call community living, there's three sociological Um, uh, cues that all click together to form what they would consider a perfect city. Okay, and Beaumont has all three of these factors. And so there's the third places, which is where people live, where people work, and where people play. Okay, so think entertainment, hobbies, fun, hanging out, breaking commandments, things like that. So where people live. If you go across the street from our brand new building, 
that we'll be moving into in a couple months, and you were to look outside, you would see that just on the other side of the street that there's brand new um, townhomes and condos that have been built across the street because more and more people are moving into the center of the city. Right? And so there's a large apartment complex that is almost finished being built that they sold an old hotel and the plans are to put a new high-rise loft condominium in that. The downtown, the city of Beaumont has invested um, millions of dollars because they're predicting in the next five to 10 years that thousands of people and families are going to be moving into downtown because it's becoming more and more a place where people live. And the people who are moving into the area are people of color, young professionals, and um, first-time families. All of them, the least likely people to attend church. And guess who lives next door to them? We do, because this is where God has us. So the first place is a place where people live. The second place is where people work. Now, if you come here on a Sunday, it does look dead. You look around, you're like, ain't nobody here, right? Where's everybody at? Okay, well, but if you come here on a Tuesday, right, the place is packed. If you come here on a Tuesday, there's people driving up and down the road. There's people walking all around the streets, and every single parking lot in downtown is totally filled because people, they're at they're at work. So just next door is Edison Plaza. It's the only Class A building um, within 200 miles. There's uh, a lot of prestigious places that office out of there. So Fortune 500 companies, tech industry companies, lawyers and law firms and real estate, all officing out of that. There's a restaurant, there's a coffee shop, there's a gym, all in the Edison Plaza. And right next door to our new building is Century Tower. And out of Century Tower, that's where you know architecture firms and, and startups and entrepreneurs, um, new businesses, uh, paralegals, lawyers are all opposing out of the Century Tower. And it's right across the street from our building. And I would think that every single day, there's probably 100,000 people who drive past our church to or from their way to work. Okay? And try coming at 4 o'clock. Good luck, because everybody just got off of work at the plants. And they're driving their big trucks down the street very fast so they could try to get their girls to ballet. Everybody is working in the downtown area. And then number three, which is where people play. So hanging out, hobbies, interests, it's where people play. So right now we're having church on Crockett Street. So there's Dixie and there's the Red Room and formerly there's the gig. And it's a place where everybody comes on the weekends. But there's also a new brewery that's going to be opening up just across the street. Say what you will about breweries, right? But it is good business and it's good for the city. Also, there's art museums and the children's museum and the energy museum. There's the event center, the skate park. There is Sugars, which is absolutely delicious. So guys, if you want to take your lady on a nice date, I recommend Sugars and, and there's Jefferson Theater, which if you haven't been on a Friday night classic movie night, it is amazing. And there's national traveling touring bands coming through there all the time because it's a place where people play. And we're in the perfect place to be able to reach them because we have a heart for this city. And here's the deal. If you want to see the culture changed, if you want to see, if you want to see people loving Jesus, if you want to see the church continue to grow, if you want to see lives be changed, if you want your children to have a church to grow up and go to when they're your age, if you want to see the culture changed, then you need to see the city change. Because as the city goes, the culture goes. And if you win the city, then you win the war. If you win this city, then we win the war. And we are Jonah. And God is calling us to go to the city because just as Nineveh was an exceedingly great city and God calls Jonah to go to the city, we are Jonah. And God has called us to go to the city because Beaumont is a great city. Yes, it's hot and it's humid. The weather's bipolar and sometimes it smells like a fish, but this is a great city because this is the city that God loves. This is the city that God has a plan for. This is the city that God wants to change. And God is calling you to arise and go to that great city. Yeah. And that's what God has for us. But there is one thing that will take your life off mission and rob you of your own purpose. And that is your own comfort. That is your own comfort and that is your convenience. See, as 21st century Christians, we don't like being inconvenienced. We say, God, I love you. My children love you. That's all I need. It's not my job to reach people, the pastor or some other organization. They'll do that. And I'll just sit here quietly and mind my own business. God, don't bother me. 
Don't mess up my comfort. Don't interrupt me. Don't make me inconvenient. Now, I don't know how long you've been following Jesus, but let me tell you something. God, he will inconvenient you. Okay, I don't know if you figured that out yet. God is inconvenient. It's almost like he takes a delight in making you uncomfortable. <laughs> he wants you to be inconvenienced. Okay, just think about the story of Jonah. So far, it's a lesson in inconvenience. Jonah, right? You're pretty important. You're a prophet. Everybody knows your name. You probably make good money. Forget all of that. Go to Nineveh where they could possibly kill you. That's pretty inconvenient. Amen? And then just, just listen to this, okay? Um, so here's how it goes for Jonah, right? Hurricane. Ship falls apart. Right? Get swallowed by a fish. Drown. Get vomited up by a fish. Walk 500 miles through the desert. That's inconvenient. It's probably not been a very fun journey for Jonah so far, amen? It's inconvenient. And the truth is this. Ministry is inconvenient. Mission is inconvenient. Serving the city is inconvenient. Caring about someone other than yourself is inconvenient. Following Jesus, no matter what you've been told, it is inconvenient. And that's the way that it's designed. It is inconvenient. But here's what I've learned. Obedience overcomes inconvenience every single time. Mission it's inconvenient. You mean to tell me that you want to become a member of a church? You want to join the serve team? You want to get in a community group? You want me to do those things? But God, this is inconvenient for my life. I know. I know it is. God, you want me to share my faith with my coworkers? Tell them about Jesus? Yes. But God, that means I actually have to talk to them. I know. I know you're an introvert, but you can do it. I swear. It's going to be okay. But that's so inconvenient. I know. You want me to share my faith with other people, invite them to church, right? That's inconvenient. You want me to volunteer for the kids' ministry on Sunday, on my day off? I don't even like my kids. Why would I want to spend time with their kids, right? That's inconvenient. And that's the way that it's designed. And here's the reason why. Because obedience overcomes inconvenience every single time. That's what I've discovered. You know, some nights I don't want to go to community group and it meets at my house. Okay, there's nothing that I can do about it. I'm kind of stuck. And every single week I open up my home and people come over and we laugh and we cry and we pray together and we eat good food. And by the time they leave, my heart is filled with joy and I can't wait to do it again next week because obedience overcomes inconvenience. Do you know that there's sometimes, some nights, that I don't want to be on a scaffold at 10 o'clock hanging ceilings? But I do it. I do it every single night of the week because, because I know that there's a greater purpose behind it. I know that there's something more important than living for my own comfort. And every single time, my obedience overcomes the inconvenience. Do you know that there's sometimes I don't want to come to church? Okay, I know I'm your pastor and I'm not supposed to say that because they could fire me, but there are some times that I don't want to come to church. I want to do what you do. I want to just wake up late. I don't want to get here at 8 o'clock in the morning and set all this up. I don't want to preach another sermon. I don't want to do anything. I just want to lay in bed. You know that there's some Sundays that I want to do that? But every time I do, I choose to come because I love you. I care about you. I love to preach the word. So thank you for that opportunity. And when we worship, I feel the presence and the spirit of God. And in that moment, my obedience to the word of the Lord overcomes my own inconvenience. And every single time, I guarantee you this, when you choose obedience, God always makes up the difference. That's what Joan is learning here. That Joan is learning to obey God. And so how the story continues, he begins to obey. Kind of. Sort of. He barely obeys God, but nevertheless, he does, he does begin to obey. And here's what it says. That Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So it's a three day, three days to see the whole city. Jonah, he makes it one day, right? Kind of, right? So he goes one day's journey and then he called out, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, that's it. That's the sermon. Okay, Jonah, he steps up to the pulpit and he says, in 40 days, you're all dead. Peace. And then he just leaves. Okay, he's like, that's it. I'm done. I did my job. 
right? God, you said to preach. There it is. In 40 days, God's going to kill you. I'm out of here. Drops the mic. And then Jonah, he just, he just, he just leaves. It's a five word sermon in the Hebrew. Okay. Five words. That's it. Some of you are thinking, Byron, why can't you preach a five word sermon? Right? We could beat the Baptist to Chili's if you would just do that. But I'm not going to do that because, because unlike Jonah, I actually love you. And, and so he preaches a five-word sermon. And it's not even a good sermon. Right? He's like, uh, you're all going to burn. Bye. Like, that's, that's it. There's no message of hope. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no joy. He's not like quoting Jeremiah 29, 11, for God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. He wants you to prosper, increase your territory. Philippians 2, 13, none of that, right? It's no like Jesus loves you. Pat yourself on the back. Think happy thoughts. Click your heels and everything's going to be okay. No, he says in 40 days, God's going to kill you. Bye. And he's out. That's it. That's all they get. 40 days, you're dead. What do you think the Ninevites do? I'll read it to you. And the people of Nineveh believed God. It worked. It worked. They believed God. He's like, you're all dead. And they're like, oh, I know. <laughs> And it says that they believed God. They got a five-word sermon. Five words. How in the world could five words do this? Because if they're God's words, five words is all it takes. When God's word shows up, when the word of God comes with power and force and the Holy Spirit shows up and people see themselves for their sin in light of the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God. When the word of God shows up, people just change. People change. Things change. Nations change. Identities change. Minds change. Hearts change. Lives change. Legacies change. And people with your last name for generations to come, they will be change when the word of God shows up people just change Thank you, Lord. this is the word of God this word is God's word it's true it's trustworthy it's timeless and it tells us exactly who God is what God says what God does this word is God breathed sharper than any two-edged sword and it's the only thing that can penetrate through your hardness of hearts it's the only thing in the world that can build a man and break a man at exactly the same time Time. And when the word of God shows up, people just change. Right. And Nineveh, they believed God. That God's word was preached. And the people of Nineveh, they believed. Now that Jonah's preached, how are the Ninevites going to respond? Because God's word always demands a response. But here's what they did. They called for a fast. Okay. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's where you don't eat. Okay. Just putting it out there, something to pray about. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, so very itchy clothes. Right? Very poor, uncomfortable, itchy clothes. From the greatest of them to the least of them. So men and women, young and old, rich and poor, everybody. Right? Nobody's left out. From the greatest of them to the least of them, and then the word reached the king of Nineveh. Hey, this is like their God, right? He's the president. He is the king. He is the boss. He is God all rolled into one. The word of the Lord, it reached the king of Nineveh. What's the king going to do? It says, and he arose from his throne and he removed his robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in the ashes. The king of Nineveh, he gets up off his throne. Kings don't get up off their throne. The throne is the greatest symbol of authority. And the king says, I'm not an authority here. There's a word beyond my word. There is a power beyond my power. I don't deserve to sit on this throne. And under the word of the God, the king, he gets off his throne. He removes his robe. That means he's removing his authority. And that he sits in ashes just like everybody else. Because in the presence of God, we're all equal. And the king gets off his throne. And he bows with the rest of the people. 
And the king says, okay, we got to bring everybody in. There's something very important that I need to tell you. Next slide. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. So he calls Fox News, CNN, ABC, NBC, the Beaumont leader, right? The penny record, he brings them all in. And he says, I need to make an announcement. This is something that is very important and everybody needs to listen to me. By the decree of the king and his nobles, here's what he says. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way. Remember, these people are evil from the violence that is in their hands. These are violent people. I mean, these are child sacrificing, rape, prostitution, murder, violence, war, bloodshed. Let everyone turn from the evil that is in their hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Jonah, he knows God. Jonah, he grew up going into church. He went to the old covenant equivalent of Sunday school. He was a prophet. He knew systematic theology. He could tell you all about God. He knew God's, he knew God's kindness. He knew his character. He knew his compassion, that he is slow to anger. God, Jonah knew that God was merciful. Jonah knew this because he had already experienced it. But the king, he didn't know who God was. He didn't, he didn't know if God was merciful or not. The king, he has no understanding or comprehension of the nature and the character of God. Jonah says, I know that God is kind. But the king says, I don't know. We're evil. But maybe God will forgive us. What's the worst that could happen? Let's just go ahead and, and give that a shot. Right? And so the king, he calls everybody in. There's a big press conference. The cameras are set up. Everybody's recording. And he stands in front of them and says, okay, it's a national day of mourning. We're going to have a, a new church. We're going to have a new nation, national holiday. Right? All the kids are out of school. Everybody takes off of work. It's the, hey, God, we suck, and I'm sorry day. And the king, he issues this public proclamation. He says, we're evil and we need to repent, and maybe, just maybe, God will forgive us. And so what it says is that the Ninevites, they deserve this, and what God does instead is that God, he begins to work through them. And, and what's amazing here is that in one single day, the entire nation of Nineveh repents. The whole nation, could you just imagine what this would be like? Imagine if you woke up tomorrow, and every single person in America said, hey, you know what? I'm a sinner. I turn from my sins. I give my life to Jesus. And they begin to live their new life according to the word of God. Could you just imagine what this would be like if we wake up tomorrow, right? And all CPS workers, they get a day off. They could go on vacation. Do you know what it'd be like if porn sites were shut down because people quit their job and there's no more taste for lust and flesh on men's fingertips. Could you just imagine if abortion clinics were closed, not because it's illegal, but because there was no need for them. Could you just imagine what this nation would look like if the word of God shows up and people's lives began to change? Could you just imagine? Now, some of you, I know you pray for this. Could you imagine this? I know you pray for it. Others of you, you don't want this to happen because if this were to happen, then you would have nothing to talk about on Facebook. Right? You would just think how triggered and shook people would be if all of a sudden one day everybody quits their job, including the president, and says, we're all sinners, and I quit. Give your life to Jesus. That's what I'm going to do. Could you just imagine the national outrage, the public outroar, if a revival like this were to happen in our nation? It can happen. It's happened before. It's happened here in Jonah chapter 3, and this is God's heart. This is God's call. This is God's desire that everyone would come to know him and that none shall perish. This is God's kingdom call over the world. Maybe it's too hard for you to just imagine this happening in America. So let's just bring it down to scale a little bit. Okay, do you know how big the city of Nineveh is? In chapter 4 it tells us it's 120,000 people. Do you know how big the city of Beaumont is? 120,000 people. 
the same size as the city of Nineveh. Could you just imagine what it would be like if you woke up tomorrow and when you go to work, the person sitting next to you, they said, hey, you know what? Last night under the power of the spirit, something just came over me and I gave my life to Jesus. Can you tell me about Jesus? If your children, if they begin to worship and serve and follow Jesus, for those who have been running away from God for their entire lives, if they reached a part to where they stopped and they turn around and they came back to the church, could you just imagine if you wake up tomorrow and the entire city was on its knees praying and interceding and experiencing the presence of God? Could you just imagine what that would be like? That is the goal, right? I mean, that is why we are here. That's why we do what we do. That's why we planted this church. That's why we pray for our friends. That's why we invite our neighbors. That's why we fast and that's why we give and that's why we tithe. And that's why we do what we do because we want to see the church grow. That we're redemption, we want to grow to 500 people in five years, not just so that we can be important or influential or have somebody pat us on the back or get our name on a plaque. That's not why we do what we do. This is the reason we do it, to have a Jonah 3 revival in our city. That we do this so that one day there will be a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city to where every single man, woman, and child will have an experience with the good news and the hope. They would know the life change, the purpose, the passion, the peace that only comes from knowing Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we plant new churches. That's why we raise up new leaders. That's why we have new groups. That's why we have new serve team members. That's why we tithe. That's why we fast. That's why we pray. That's why we do what we do, to have a Jonah 3 revival. The goal is that one day, everyone in this city, that we will see it, that everyone in this city bows their knee in the presence of Jesus. That's the goal. And here's what I love. Do you know how the city changed? Do you know how something like this happened? Okay, how did the political leaders change? How did the people in the city change? It wasn't through gerrymandering county lines. It wasn't through passing new laws or legislation of morality. It wasn't through wealth redistribution. It wasn't through social justice campaigns. And it wasn't through opening a soup kitchen and passing out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Do you know how the city changed? The word of God. When the word of God is preached, people change. When the word of God, by the spirit of God, having people living on the mission of God show up in a city, the city, it changes because of the word of God. The hope for Beaumont is the word of God. The hope for Orange is the word of God. The hope for Mid-County and Nederland and Port Arthur and Groves and Vider and Lumberton. The hope for Southeast Texas, it is the word of God. The hope for your family, the hope for your friends, the hope for your children, the hope for your future. It is only found in the word of God. by the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, living on mission for God. And if God can do it through Jonah, one half-hearted, barely obedient prophet, just imagine what God can do through our church. If 150 of us would take the call and the command and the commission of God seriously, just imagine what we could see happen in this city. We could see the day to where Jonah 3 comes true, where people are on their knees repenting in the presence of a great, grand, glorious Jesus who is our Savior and King. That's why we do what we do. And if that doesn't get you excited, you might be at the wrong church. I'm just saying. I'm fired up just thinking about it, right? Okay, I told first service that we're going to treat them as for Pentecostals if they don't drink their coffee in the morning. That gets you excited, right? That's why we do what it is that we do. And so Jonah, he preaches. And the Ninevites, they repent. And now it's God's turn to respond. What do you think God's going to do? How is God going to respond to all of this? In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. Okay, that is repentance. We talked about it last week. Repentance literally means to turn. Okay, some of you, you're like Jonah. Right? Your whole life, you've been running away from God. You were raised in church. You know better, but you're still running. And you're just trying to live your life, do what you do. You don't want to listen to him. Right? You're like a little kid. You're running away from your father. And you reach a place to where you say, okay, God, I can't run any longer. I'm going to turn and I'm going to trust in you. And so you repent of your sins and you begin to trust in Jesus 
and then he changes your life. Okay? Others of you, you're like Nineveh. That you don't believe in God. You don't know God. You don't worship God. You don't serve God. There's no thought, no concern, no care in your life about God. You just do what you want, when you want, however you want. And it's your life. And that's just the way that it is. You're like Nineveh. That your face is towards your sin. And your back is towards God. You are living in sin. You are living in rebellion. You are separated from God. And you're living your life. And you need to do what Nineveh does. And it says here that they turned from their evil way. Okay, that is repentance. How do you think God is going to respond when the nation repents? What is God going to do? When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, it says that God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. See, the Ninevites, they deserved wrath. That all of their lives, for years, they have just been storing up the judgment and the wrath of God against themselves. They deserved wrath. And God's plan was to destroy them. But God gave them a window of opportunity. God said, you got 40 days. And it says that they repented that they repented of the things that they had done. They did not test God. They did not test the 40 days. It says they repented of what they had done and that God, he relented and did not do what he said he was going to do. The Ninevites, they deserved wrath. But God gave them mercy. See, that's what mercy means. Mercy means you deserve something bad. But instead you get something good. And the Ninevites, God's plan was to pour out his wrath on them. But instead, God poured out his mercy and he forgave them. You need to understand that the story of Nineveh is the story of all of human history. That you are a Ninevite. That we are separated from God. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we deserve death. We deserve hell. That we are separated from God. And that God's holiness and his anger and his wrath and his justice and his judgment, it burns against you. You deserve wrath. But God is very patient that he is slow to anger and he has a very long wick and he is quick to forgive. And God is very patient with you. But friends, hear me on this. Don't mistake God's patience for his tolerance. Don't think that just because nothing hasn't happened that it's never going to happen. Friends, it's coming. There is a day that God's patience will run out. And that the clock, it will run down. And judgment will be very soon. That day is coming. One day Jesus is going to return. Jesus will come back. The dead in Christ will rise up. The world will be destroyed. And every person who has ever lived will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your life. For the things that you have done, the words that you have said, for the life that you have lived, and the God that you worship, your words, your thoughts, your deeds, your actions, your sins, that day is coming. You will have to give an account. And that day is coming, and we all got 40 days. God has given you in this life a window of opportunity. We all have 40 days. Some of you, the clock starts today. Others of you, it might run out tomorrow. We don't know how long we got, so it's best not to test the 40 days because it's coming. And some of you think, this is not very nice, Byron. Right? This isn't, I like Jesus. Can we please talk about Jesus? Because Jesus never would say these things. Jesus is nice, he's soft, he's cuddly, and he tells me exactly what I want because we're best friends. He's my homeboy and pats me on the back. Jesus would never say these things. That's not true. You've been lied to. Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the entire Bible. 
Jesus says that it is literal, conscious, eternal torment separated from God with weeping and gnashing and grinding of teeth where the flame never dies. Hell is real. Wrath is real. Death is real. Judgment is real. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to warn you like Jonah did to the Ninevites. In this life, you have a window of opportunity. Justice will be served. Judgment will come. And death will come for us all. That day is coming. And I want you to be ready. And I want you to be prepared. Because the truth is, we're all Ninevites here. That we all deserve death. That's what you have earned. That's what your good life has earned you. Death. Destruction. Damnation. But instead of wrath, God, he gives mercy because he sends his son, Jesus. He enters into the world. He leaves from heaven and earth and he goes to the cross in your place and he receives the penalty for your sin. In your place. He takes what you deserved and he gives you something you could never earn. Instead of wrath, Jesus gives mercy. God spared Nineveh, but he did not spare his only son. But instead, he gave his son so that you could be spared. Yeah, we're Ninevites, and God spared us. Instead of the wrath we deserved, he gives us his mercy. Instead of destruction, he gives us deliverance. And when you turn from your sins and you trust in him, instead of damnation, he gives you salvation. See, this is why we call it the good news. Because in order for there to be good news, there also has to be bad news. And the bad news is, yeah, we're sinners. We're all like Jonah. We're all like Nineveh. But there's good news for sinners. That Jesus has come. And it's only after you understand the bad news can you ever begin to appreciate the good news. It's only when you understand what's at stake are you ever able to appreciate the great links of mercy that God has given to you. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. Several hundred years after Jonah, Jesus comes along on the scene and he's preaching and teaching repentance just like Jonah did. But the people there, they won't listen to him. They're religious, they're stubborn, they're hard-headed. They don't want to listen to what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, repent, and they're like, no. Right? Instead, give me a sign. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me, show me, prove to me that you're God. Give me a sign. They test God. And here's what Jesus says. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. And here it is. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. So the Ninevites are going to judge these people. The Ninevites will judge and condemn it for they repented, there's the word, at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something then greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says the whole goal, the point, the mission, the purpose, the reason behind the story of Jonah is ultimately to point you to me. That here I am, I'm preaching the same message that Jonah did. You need to repent. And the Ninevites, they listen to Jonah and you won't listen to me. 
that they got Jonah, they get Jesus, and Jesus comes preaching, and they won't listen. And he says, the only sign you will be given is the death and burial and the resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That Jesus leaves heaven like Jonah leaves Israel, comes into this world like Jonah comes into Nineveh. Jesus preaches just like Jonah, and then Jesus, he goes to the cross, in our place, receiving the due penalty, the punishment for our sins. He is buried three days later. He resurrects, conquering Satan's sin, hell, death, and the grave. And Jesus gives you new life of hope and grace and mercy that you could never earn on your part. They got Jonah, but we get Jesus. And Jesus is greater than Jonah. Let me show you how this works. That Jonah leaves Israel. And he goes to Nineveh, but Jesus leaves heaven and he comes to earth. Jonah, he barely obeys. Jesus, he gladly obeys. Jonah preached damnation. Jesus preaches salvation. Jonah hates the Ninevites, but Jesus, he loves the world. Jonah saw the king get off his throne, but Jesus is the king who got off his throne. Jonah gives 40 days to repent, but Jesus gives us a lifetime to repent. Jonah saw revival come to one city, and Jesus wants to bring revival to our city. We are Jonah, and Jonah was sent to Nineveh. And just as Jonah goes to Nineveh, Jesus is sending you to Beaumont, because Beaumont is a great city. Orange is a great city. Port Arthur, Nederland, Groves, Mid-County are great cities. Vider and Lumberton is a great city, and they need to know the amazing grace, the good news of the gospel of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our God and King. This is a great city and we serve a great Savior. And if you know the mercy of God, then it's your time to stand up, to get up and to live on the mission that God has called you to be. We are Jonah. Go to the city. That's what God is telling us. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.